0: Welcome back to episode two of do it scared. We're about to dive headfirst into some pretty inspiring stuff. So here's the deal. Matt is not just an ordinary guy. He, in my opinion, is the master of resilience. So in this episode, we're going to be peeling back the layers of his life to find out why. Matt is gonna lay it all out there, sharing some gritty real-life moments that made him who he is today. And let me tell you, it's one heck of a story. Starting from his childhood to young adulthood, and even now, Matt's story has a common theme of resiliency, not only in his personal life, but in his business ventures as well. So get ready to be inspired and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at doitscared, spelled D-U-E, it's scared. And stay in the loop with our awesome growing podcast community. So let's get started. So you've been out of the federal system for three years now. You're playing catch up over all these years. And you are doing your calling, you are attempting to fulfill your calling of creating that Do South Design Center. Your story has some of the most insane ups and downs I've ever heard in my whole entire life, which is why we're doing this. Yeah. But, you know, from knowing you, there is this constant theme of resiliency that people can't help but notice that I think the world really needs to hear about. So I really want to start with your early adolescence period. And you know, you've grown up in an extremely abusive and toxic situation, just plagued with drugs and alcohol. And you know, can we start by answering the question of how did this environment shape your early years, especially in regards to resiliency?
1: Um, wow. Okay. Um I don't think that I would necessarily call it resiliency. Uh, in in this um, you know particular instance, but you know of course, like you said, it was a um, uh, toxic and abusive from from the beginning, and you know I went through these uh, fantasies as a kid, which I've now I find to be extremely messed up for. Um, for someone so young to have you know a vision of being a responsible parent but um specifically i can remember being um uh, having a conversation with my aunt when i was when i was 9 years old and i um she raised me in fact i you know g- grew up with her from the time i was a baby until i started school which i was about five years old when i came home and i can remember being um uh scared you know scared to death to come home to my mom and my situation but we had the conversation and i said you know we were we had, Growing Pains was a sitcom um, in the 80s growing up, you know, Mike Seaver, Alan Thicke, um, and it was the portrait of the American family to me. Uh, I went to this private school with you know, these kids who had these parents and birthday parties and Christmas times, and um, I'm not saying it was all bad for me, but I wanted a life just like that. I wanted a family. I wanted a, a working, functional, healthy, loving unit. So when I was about 12 we um you know during this time this is the, the the dynamic here is my mom was the spiritual leader in our family she never missed a sunday never missed a wednesday she you know, made sure that my dad, if he was going to be working under the table, that he sent us to that private school. And that was, you know, all her. And and I'm thankful for that. You know, she was that spiritual leader. And my dad, um, not so much. He was barely ever around. He was a big drinker. He was violent when he drunk. And, um, you know, I'll spare you some of those stories. But um, eventually she had, one thing or another had happened and we uh, moved to a smaller town in um, Hartsville. And um, or it's actually the smallest county in Tennessee. So, small town, um, private school or pu- public school and um, there's this flip-flop of everything in my life. We were living in the city, um, now we're living in the country. We were going to private school, now we're going to public school. Mom was a spiritual leader and dad was an alcoholic, and right after that move, um, the roles reversed. My dad got saved, he quit drinking, and my mom became uh, she went down that path, you know. She became drinking, became you know, carousing, and uh, making friends with you know some younger, more troublemaker type people in that town, and it it was just tough. Even being outsiders in a small town was an obstacle in itself, and it um it just brought up all these things started happening immediately, you know, started uh, getting into trouble. And, you know, right about the time I was around 14 years old, um, I had, um, I can remember, my mom took me on a horseback ride. And um, we're out in a field somewhere, he'd ridden across a creek and up on top of a hill. And she asked me if I knew how to roll a joint. And I was like, "Uh, no, but I think I might have knew how to roll a joint this time, not sure. But you faked it. <laughs> I wasn't this was a trap. <laughs> so I said no. Anyway. So we you know, we ended up going back and pour up this big pile of weed that filled up a cake pan and taught me how to de-stem and sit de-stick it and rolled up several. 14 joints. years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, to me, I was like, I was late. You know, everybody I knew around me was like this advanced Mature, uh blood roller, heartier, you know. No, they didn't have blunts back. Okay, okay. Joints. Yeah. All right. All right. This was in the the mid nineties, so you know. Anyways, um, so you know the public school situation. I'm, you know, this is attractive to me. My dad, you know, I was groomed that my dad was the evil one you know he 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 was strict he was a jerk you know my mom was all of a sudden showing me this party lifestyle it was fun we had friends we were parties you know and it was um it was happiness to me at that time and um dad was the was the evil person he was you know this this reversal was just i'm living it not and not really taking in what's really happening And, um, you know, during this time, you know, mom, you know, for all her great things that she had done, you know, there was a lot of uh, verbal, physical, emotional, and mental abuse there with um, just embarrassing and shameful, you know, heartbreaking things that I really don't even have the balls to say, you know. Uh, right now honestly so uh, you know just to to, to kind of you know y- use your imagination there and uh, you know for me I just wanted to get out I just wanted to have my own place I just wanted to have my own home I just wanted to do my own thing and have my own family because everything about the situation was was fucked up so even from from day one you know, and I like to say, oh, it was mom or it was dad or, or whatever the reason was. I didn't even give a damn. I just wanted my thing. I wanted my family. I wanted whatever that looked like. Um, a couple of years into this situation of bouncing back and forth to mom and dad, um, at one point when I lived with mom, I just completely emancipated myself for uh, almost a couple of years there and lived with, um, uh, a mentor type of individual and he was like 26 27 years old he had his own place right in the middle of town he was a a, a genius when it come to home improvement there was nothing <laughs> that this guy would not do you know and i picked up on that stuff i was i was good at it i was you know it's what my uncle and my dad had did and um we um he smoked a lot of weed um and that was kind of like the 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 thread there too but um you know that time came and passed there was a lot of of things during from the time when you know I slipped into the system I you know had petty charges whether it be vandalism simple possession drug possession underage consumption and all the bevy of of bs that comes along with that lifestyle so uh, and when i was 18 I met um I got a girl pregnant, you know she was somebody that had I had been seeing that I liked that I wanted to spend time with, and um she became pregnant with my first son, Matthew, and I immediately snapped out of this um, um well, you're gonna have to pause us. <laughs>
0: No, you're good
1: you didn't have to edit it sorry
0: no it's fine i mean honestly i'm gonna keep it just so you know when i raise my hand i have a
1: question to ask oh
0: (laughs) so but okay first son i just want to know as you continue like how did becoming father of not just one two impact your life you know um because i know you had almost this resentment for your upbringing that really turned into resiliency and a wanting to create a better life for your family and so what kind of resilience was required of you to provide for your family through these challenging times of still battling these demons so like what again what resiliency was required of you during that time
1: well first of all you know you have another human being depending on you and, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a big deal to me. And I can't really go back and say, hey, I um, straightened it all up and pushed through because I had my first son and this was my big moment to have my family. Um, did that ever occur to me? I, I don't think it did, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I'm still a child. I never even got to, to really be a kid, right. you know. Back when we moved up there, I was in sports and just beginning to actually build my life as a child and define myself in this town. And then I become in with the wrong crowd and basically a pariah. You know, we I got kicked out of this town when I was 16. So I am still in this system um, dealing with. You know, my first DUI when I was 18, my second DUI when I was 21. I had my first son when I was 18, and um, of course there was jail time involved in and out of this system. I end up with a felony when I was 22 years old. My second son is born when I'm uh, 23, 24 years old-ish, somewhere around there, maybe it was 25, but I know they're five years apart, so I believe I was 23. When Isaac was born. So I've got two young sons, um, a girlfriend who was a waitress basically her whole life. And um, I am putting it together. I had my first business when I was 22 years old. You know, I made this business so that I could get up, get out in front. Um, I ended up with my first felony when I was 22 years old, which I ultimately ran from uh, that charge for s- several several years and the the goal was to build a business that ran on its own so that it would protect and take care of my family while I was incarcerated. um I would it, you know it get caught for one reason or another or get picked up or violated for one reason or another. There'll always be the you know the intention of you know, having a family, putting it together and executing these things so that I can have this this cookie cutter situation and have and be at my moment. Finally at my moment is where, you know, I kept trying to be. We're, we're boys, we're going to have it. You know, I would speak to them and write them letters from prison and say, it's going to be like this. We are going to have this. We will be together. And, you know, and I would come out, there would be a time of A brief, you know, you have to hit the ground running. So you have to deal with whatever is thrown at you. And uh, these, they say these programs are in place or this, you know, opportunities are out there. But to be honest, there aren't really any opportunities. There are additional expectations because you have to go to alcohol and drug treatment. You have to go to probation. You have to pay fines, court costs and all this stuff. And all this at the same time, you have People over here, human beings who are depending on you, right? So it it makes you think. Well, should I be, you know, dealing with some extracurricular activity? Should I? How do I do this? Do I need to sell weed? Do I need to, to 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 do crime? Do what do I need to do to be able to just get out of this system or this cycle? You know, and that's the type of thing that that I dealt with during that entire time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I definitely. Know that we'll have another episode talking about the system and going to prison, getting out, and getting rehabilitation because that's what you're really passionate about. So I can't wait to get to that ap- into that episode because it is truly fascinating. Because um, it's one of the stems of why you want to do what you're wanting to do. Um, You know, you you spent your time in the federal prison. Yeah. After you ultimately robbed a bank for the hopes of again having a better family life to be able to provide and just yeah. help them out. And again, we will get into that nitty gritty story some other time. But at the end of the day, you end up going to federal prison. And how were the hardships in that federal prison? It's different than regular life. You end up being in solitude. You end up you know, having different groups of people you may have not been with before. So what does resiliency look like in a federal prison?
1: It's an entirely different ecosystem experience environment. Um, there's it's got its own economy, it's got its own set of rules, it's got its own expectations, it's got your own behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, even in my, you know, rougher years with in um, you know, drugs and alcohol and with the wrong crowd and in some really tough and rough situations I was always uh, a little more giving and a little more um softer than you know your usual your I guess your usual convict so I you know in 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 a, in a federal system at least I can't speak for any other prison you know those are things that are picked up on immediately because wow. a convict uses most of those guys, and and, I, and this is unfortunate, but most of those guys grew up in those systems. You know, they know how to navigate um, right. their their own hustle. They know how to navigate the economy. They know how to navigate people, and they are tuned in to pick up on those character traits and idiosyncrasies of someone who is trusting, gullible, giving, and no, someone like you, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, you know, I'm trying to keep it real. That's what keeping it real is to me, is by saying, yeah, I was, you know, trying to, uh, you know, rob a bank so I could, you know, fix my family. And, you know, I'm just going to do my time. And You can't out. say that. It, no, it's, it's gang time in there. And it's mandatory. And you are a member of someone's community, whether you like it or not. You represent mm-hmm. Um, to say you, for example, I mean, well, you have dark hair. They would have probably put you in some Mexican gang or something. All right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm just saying yeah. that you know you're you're going to be classed immediately if you don't pick you one, like it or not. right? Yeah. If you don't pick one, they're going to assign you one. And so for me to, um, uh, you know, I had to think quick, and I had to use you know what I had, and that's what I did. I used what I had. I'm uh, creative, um, and you know, I'm good at uh, running a business. I'm good at executing a task. I'm a hard worker. So I began uh, tattooing and that was my um, that was my hustle in prison. And I had a little calendar. I kept a schedule. Uh, guys would even kind of joke, you know, anytime anybody, after I was established at a certain place, guys that would come and talk to me, they would come and make an appointment to talk to me.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I know you have some of those drawings. So if, you know, whether you're listening or you're watching the YouTube version of this podcast, I'll definitely pop up a picture of some of his drawings he did in prison (laughs) because they're pretty, they're pretty, pretty crazy. (laughs) But no, the artistic ability, I mean, is something that's undeniable, you know, as we're uh, doing this podcast as a video playing on YouTube of an artwork he's doing right now. And so it's definitely undeniable that your creative abilities have been a thread throughout your whole entire life as well
1: it, it has helped me very much you know it's and um you know i'm put in for programs while i was in prison and those um residential drug abuse programs which are strictly regimented very hard to live with you know if you're in a program out here you get to go home and eat dinner during the day but these things you live 100 of the time with people holding you accountable to your walk and your mission, you know, one hundred percent of the time, the way you live, the way you keep your room, um, so for me to, um, for me to, to, to take my artistic ability and and tattoo, and then take it to a program and uh, paint murals in there, and 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 you know, just consistently use that, and it those programs ultimately brought me to you know after you're in there for a couple of years you dry out you know you the 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 thought of you know what who am i you know what do i what am i doing and what am i going to do eventually is going to um Eventually is going. The thought is going to cross your mind, and you're going to start asking your questions. You know, you see, guys, uh, you know, I'm going to get out. I'm going to start a car wash. I'm going to get a barber shop, and I'm going to, you know, start a business. You know, well, we'll ask a, ask yourself a question. Even then, you know, why start a business? Oh, because I want money. Because I want to survive. Uh, because I want to be better than I was. Well, those motivators, those principles. And when I looked back at mine, mine was always family or money, you know, and I've, this isn't my first go around, but it is definitely my ultimate go around and, um, being out for three years now and having still being consistent in spite of the ups and downs and still having my, um, common thread here, um, has brought me you know pretty much full circle to seeing that a service to others and a principle centered uh, way of life is is the key to to, to success it's not saying that it's going to make you ultimate success because it's going to require a lot of hard work and when i was in prison i had the time to read books and study and question myself and write. And one of the first books that, you know, the the book that impacted me the most while I was in there, and I actually lived a program for one year uh, based on this book, you know, daily worksheets, you know, the whole nine people pay thousands of dollars for these things in college was uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Highly Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it talks about living a principle-centered life, and it made me question what those principles are, and even define them inside of me. You know, uh, it gave me a, prison. Gave me a routine. In there, you need to know what you're going to do with every hour of your day, because if you have any idle time, you will be in. You will be. Uh, con. You're going to end up in the wrong place. So. Um, Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, since you've been out, right, um, how have you been transformed and how have you grown since you've been released from prison professionally and, you know, personally?
1: Well, it's hard. They say, you know, I have this echo in my, in my head sometimes it's lonely at the top. And I don't want to say that like I'm on top and like I'm, I'm up here or anything like that. But for me to feel like I'm successful, you know, I've managed, I feel like I've caught up on 30 years of living in three years and it's been no easy feat. And I've had to do it because the first and foremost thing for me is my freedom. I value my freedom more and i've had to say no to people that i really want to say yes to i really you know want my sons here i really want friends here i really want to be involved with with people you know and when you get involved with certain people you're also involved with their with their shit with their messes yeah. you know and their drama and being in prison and being able to be you know very acutely aware of Certain signals or uh, situations, you know, they brought me to that to being hyper aware of things that are going to endanger my freedom, you know. And I've even in my business, you know, I've tried to help guys and and do things like that. And those things have have uh, you know brought me, you know, just just touching and close, you know, to that area that I don't want to be anywhere near. So, you know, being out here, prison affected me, and out here it's not only you know giving me a total respect for my freedom and putting it like at the top of my priority and principles list but um it has um it's taken me to um from just recovering being uh, a, a new person in society, you know, you need clothes, you need food, you need, um, you know, infrastructure, personal, social, and economical, you know, and uh, your personal logistical situation, you know, people get out, and I see guys in the halfway house, they're going, hey, somebody get me a job, somebody get me a place to live, and, you know, I got out of the halfway house, uh, and, um, I got I got out of prison and in, in federal prison. It's it's mandatory for you to do a certain amount of halfway house time based on the amount of time that you did, right? So uh, mine was six months. So I come out um at in January. Uh, it's it's peak COVID time during this during this time too. And uh uh two months after touchdown, I I'm I'm working for myself. You know, I I got a, a, a buy-here, pay-here truck and a, a, a enough tools to where I could do small jobs on my own. And I quit my job and got a lead service and started taking small jobs.
0: Yeah, and just so people know, like, when you're in the halfway house, you are not allowed to have a business at that time.
1: Yeah, like totally against the
0: rule, whatsoever. <laughs> and you know, actually, a couple months ago, we got to meet up with one of your assistant administrators, which is like a vice president of, you know, like a company, right? Yeah. And um, you told him that you had a business. Yeah. During that time, and what yeah. did he say to you?
1: So he said, "Yeah, I knew about it." Cause like he's he said, you know, I think his his words were. Well, we knew what you were doing, Matt, but you weren't making no messes. I was like, literally, we're were like, let's see what this guy does. If he starts making messes, then we'll shut him down. So I was getting up every day. I was going to work and I'm navigating through problems. Like there are issues with customers. There are issues with timing. There are issues with material availability and, you know, I have trailers. You can't park a trailer there i could yeah, during covid Did
0: yeah. everybody remember like yeah. everyone decided to be a home improvement person too like i was yeah. and there was no wood yeah so i'm running a
1: business yeah that's right everything cost a million dollars yeah right? one piece of yeah. wood was like yeah. ten dollars yeah exactly so and i'm killing it so and during this time i'm in the halfway house which means that i have to call them every move i make hey this is matt jones it's something something o'clock I'm going to McDonald's to get lunch. Hey, this is Matt Jones. Something I'm leaving McDonald's and going back to this address. I'll be there. Hey, I'm at the address. Oh, my yeah. God. So it's like that all day, every day, right? And uh, until I finally do make it home, which by the time I made it home, I had already rented a house and had it furnished and waiting for me and empty, basically a living, breathing home that um, I didn't, uh, I didn't even live at when I finally was able to get out of there. So the um so to to I finally make it home, right? I make it home around June ish of uh, of that year, which is twenty twenty. And um uh so you know I spent my halfway house time and the money that I was making, you know, working for myself, furnishing my house, dealing with um Uh, you know, just the basics of recovering, like as a human being, you know, there are no pro, they say there are programs. They say there are resources. They say there is support out here for felons. And yeah, you may be able to go down to Goodwill and get a 10% discount on some clothes or go over here and get a free meal somewhere. But the programs that are for, let's say, businesses or felons owning businesses and stuff like that, they are... Uh, so you startup loans, uh, you know, whatever the support is, the ones that I've checked into at least, uh, yes, let's say they're federal grants or federal support for felons who mm-hmm. own businesses, but uh, you can't get those grants or support unless you have this particular license. And guess what? It's illegal for a felon to get that license in this state. So there's this catch 22 there that the support is there, but you can't get it. Right. And so, um, dealing with um it, it's been a long road you know even dealing with uh, uh issues like i mean i'm actually kind of proud of this because i was able to bypass uh a five years of technological evolution and you know i'm rocking a iphone 14 and a, a galaxy s23 an ipad and i've set up gold drone yeah all yeah of- you don't even know <laughs> like yeah, so I'm, you know, and using that stuff efficiently. I've got that stuff attached to mounts in my truck, you know, and I'm moving and using um, uh, wireless uh, apps and systems. I have an app for my invoices. I can thumb out an app, an invoice, you know, running down the road. Not that I do. I'm going to say
0: <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but if I have to pull over really quick and thumb out an invoice that's pre, you know, it's, I have, efficient developed a very efficient system all to basically go and move and have kind of jumped out here like hopscotch and and did this and made it happen
0: yeah and you know you're starting a business just for any average person is already difficult right but then you coming in you know with your criminal status makes it 10 times harder with the system and you know that leads us to that's the reason why you want to start the Juice Health Design Center.
1: You know that's right. The exact reason why I want to do this, or why it, you know what? It's not that I want to; it's necessary. You need to. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's impo- It's necessary because with this, it offers everything that I everything that I've needed out here. It basically gives it to someone. You know, and I can get into those details, but the the point is, is that. People need the real ability to do this, and not someone saying that the ability is there, so that they can have, um, you know, so that they can sleep at night. So, so that the government can say, okay, the systems are in place. No, there are no systems in place. That's why people are out here. That's why the That's why the situation is what it is. Yeah. That's why guys are out here looking for jobs. That's why you see someone come out and have a barbershop for one week and then it's closed. That's why you see guys start up a lawn service, but they don't have a lawnmower. The Dusok Design Center is going to do that. It's going to be able to give someone everything that I did not have. And you look at me and say, well, you did it without any help. Well, you know what? I'm the exception to the rule. Yeah, I, you are. Yeah, you are. I, I really do. Because I grew up with these skills. I grew up with a, a specific, you know, set of set of talents that may or may not exclude me, but this is for everyone. This is for people with no skills. This is for people with no zero opportunities. You know, I've done this type of work my whole life. So, you know, I knew what to do, I knew where to go, and I took a chance. And people shouldn't have to take chances, mm-hmm. shouldn't have to go against the rules. Um, so yeah, th- that's, it's
0: yeah, that's that, that's such a great point. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you.
1: Okay. You know, if- <laughs> you're welcome. No,
0: I mean, you, it's just again, I still, I can hear this story a hundred times, and every single time I'm still amazed at really the power of your resilience and how. You know, from childhood to now, it's just incredible. And I can't wait to see what the future brings because, of course, there's going to be obstacles as we build this. And I just know that people can believe in you and support you because of your proven resiliency over the years to be where you are. So if your story isn't a testament to your dedication and f- dedication to what this, you know, design, this nonprofit can be, then then I don't know what is.
1: Well, I, I hope, I'm glad you said that because, I mean, I am you know I am scared and and every time we do this I feel like talking myself out of doing it like um you know why should we do this and I feel like I I just you know you know I'm just scared to do it and then that brings me to the to the do it scared motto that we have so I um I feel like just by, by us talking, by us saying this stuff, I mean, for me, there's nothing that I want more than, you know, I don't, I don't even care about once I got out here and I filled my house up full of furniture and, you know, I was like, what do I even need this stuff for? I don't even care about yeah, this stuff. You for, don't, you don't. I, I, I'm i telling you, the what the thing that I care about is the Dew South Design Center. I even bought a lottery ticket yesterday. I said, well, oh, if I win this lottery ticket, then I can build the Dew South Design Center and I won't need anything from anyone. And we will have those systems in place. We could even build grants. We could even build our own grants for those systems, yeah. for those people. So that's, it's important to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, um, I mean, that's just where I'm at with it. So yeah. it, it means a lot to me that you, that you believe in me.
0: And I, I think I'm going to be one of many. I believe in you. I hope so. Awesome. Thank
1: Thank you you again. Thank you.